Well, hello, my friends. Welcome to Hope for Your Heart. This is Pastor Calvin Corbett. So glad that you are joining me today. This is part two on biblical marriage. Now, just to bring you up to speed and, and maybe to grab your attention on this particular topic, I want you to know that married couples have more sex than singles and they enjoy it more. Now, this is not my opinion. This is based on what Psychology Today magazine has reported. So my question would be, well, why is that the case? Well, let me give you a few of these reasons, and then I kind of recap what we've covered yesterday in the broadcast, and we're going to go through eight biblical purposes of marriage. So married couples have more sex and enjoy it more than singles. Why? And this is not my finding. This is based on what Psychology Today has come up with. Number one would be convenience. You see, if you're married, of course, you don't have to spend a lot of time, a lot of energy looking for and finding and doing the groundwork for a relationship. You do have to maintain that healthy relationship, but you've already established a relationship with your spouse. So it's much more convenient for you to have a sexual relationship with your spouse. Here's the second reason is cues. Married couples have usually worked out this elaborate set of verbal and nonverbal cues, and they're easy to read. As a matter of fact, I can tell you when my wife is happy with me, when she's not happy with me, and she doesn't have to say a word. A single look, a single wink can speak volumes. Sometimes a gesture as simple as a touch or a smile can be enough to extend an invitation. For many couples, a single word or a sentence can be sufficient. You see, married couples learn cues. Here's a third reason, is safety. You see, when you're single, sexually transmitted diseases are a persistent concern. What a relief it is to get past the stage of awkward conversations. There's great peace of mind and knowing that there's much less to worry about. Here's another reason that married couples have more sex and and enjoy it more is because they're free from fear, free from rejection. You know, being married doesn't guarantee that one's sexual overtures will never be rejected naturally, but the anxiety that generally accomplishes new relationships in the sexual arena is very different. It's much more complex. Is this relationship going to last? Am I going to be rejected? We don't Fight those mood feelings when you're married to somebody. They're committed to you. Number four, when you are married, you have greater freedom to risk and experiment. You see, nearly everyone has sexual fantasies, and and sharing the details can be very pleasurable, right, within a marriage relationship. When trust has been established and deepened, there's a much greater inclination to share some of these more intimate aspects of our sexual desires. And then lastly, is there is emotional intimacy. A married couple has built in trust that they're able to have emotional intimacy. And that is a combination of winning the jackpot for a strong and healthy sexual life. It's not just a physical intimacy, it's an emotional and a spiritual intimacy. Well, today I want to remind you of eight 
reasons for a biblical marriage. But first, let's recall what the definition of a biblical marriage is. A biblical marriage is an intimate, complementing, covenant union between a man and a woman in which two become one for life. And this is based on Genesis chapter 2, verses 22 to 24, where the Lord God made a woman from the rib and he had taken out of the man and he brought her to the man. And the man said, this is now bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh, and she shall be called woman for she was taken out of man. This is why a man leaves his father and his mother and is united to his wife. They became one flesh. So intimate, complementing, covenant union between a man, a woman, in which two become one for life. So eight reasons for biblical marriage. I shared two with you yesterday. Number one was the fact that as you look at a biblical marriage, it reflects Christ and the church. Paul says this is a mystery that is profound. He's talking about Christ and the church, as Christ loves the church unconditionally. A man will love his wife unconditionally. It's love that is unconditional. It's faithfulness that is unshakable. It is protection that is undeniable. And then we learn, secondly, that a biblical marriage expresses completeness and union. A man will leave his father and his mother, hold fast to his wife, and the two become one flesh. So it's a completeness of the man becoming united with his wife. You know, man, you weren't half the man God intended you to be until you get married. Your wife completed you. When you entered into that union with her, two became one flesh. What a beautiful picture of salvation, us becoming complete in Christ. And then number three, marriage is designed to grow us in maturity. This is found in 1 Peter 3, 7. I love this passage. Peter says, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way. Now, as you begin to understand something, you begin to mature in that area. So Peter says, hey, husbands, grow up. Understand your wives. Get to know them. Show honor to the woman as the weaker vessel. And now, ladies, don't take that as an insult. Peter is not slamming women. And really, the word weaker vessel there should be the word fragile. Something that is of great price, but it's fragile, okay? And I think about things that are of great price. Something that is very worthy of a high value. Think about a great piece of art or an expensive vase. You you don't just throw an expensive vase in the garage, right? You don't throw it in a box in the garage. No, you put it up where it would be protected, where it would be safe, because it's of high value, but it's very fragile. So Peter says, show honor to the women as a weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. So Peter uses that phrase, they are heirs with you of the grace of life. In other words, we should honor our wives because they bring grace into our lives. 
They're like oil to an engine. They smooth off our rough edges. They are part of bringing grace into our lives. Peter says they are the grace of life. So I take this to mean that the husband receives grace, the wife receives grace. So you have a double portion of grace when two become one. So as we are praying, we should show honor to our wives because we are receiving grace from them. And if we are not honoring them, our prayers are hindered. In other words, we are cutting off some of the grace that should be ours because we're not getting along with our wives. You see, marriage teaches us to grow up spiritually, to grow up emotionally. Hey, listen, I want you to know, before I was married, my life was really kind of a wreck. As a matter of fact, I had spent some time in the area of Lynchburg. That's where I went to school, and that's where I went to seminary. That's where I met my wife. But before we were married, I had such a wonderful driving record that one day I had to appear before a judge at the Lynchburg Circuit Court. And that judge looked over my driving record. That judge looked over the accidents that I had been in. That judge looked over all that had happened with my speeding tickets and uh, the various moving violations that I had. And he said, you know something, Mr. Corbett? I think that it's in the court's best interest and in the interest of our community for the court to take your driving privileges away from you for six months. You know, I was a mess. I had a terrible time driving. I had a terrible time getting into accidents. You know, since I've been married, a wonderful thing has happened. I have had very few tickets, driving tickets, uh, speeding tickets. I've had very few accidents. I don't think I've been in a significant accident in the last 35 years. Now, I'm almost afraid to say anything about that because that could change today. But you know, my life has drastically changed since I've been married. I actually have grown up by being married. So marriage teaches you loyalty and forbearance and self-restraint and meekness and a great many things. You see, these things you might not need if you're single. But the greatest lesson marriage teaches us, I believe, is how to forgive. When you think about a couple that has been married for a long time, I promise you they have learned to be really good at forgiving one another. You say, well, how does marriage in the marriage union, how does it help us to grow in maturity? Well, it helps us to grow by being more faithful. You learn faithfulness by staying with somebody in the good days and the bad days, in sickness and in health, for better or for worse. You know, you learn this to be faithful. You learn to stay married when you don't want to be married. Uh, you learn to stay married when you do want to be married. You go through the stages of life together. And I want you to know that it is so much fun growing in the stages of a long-term marriage. You know, and I finally feel like I can speak on this subject because I am now at the stage of my life where we are being blessed with grandchildren. My first grandson is one year old, and, and then I have a granddaughter that will be born any day now. You see, growing in faithfulness, being consistent, you know, you're not going to have great faith in your life until you learn to be greatly faithful. Keep doing what God's called you to do. Keep doing it when you don't feel like doing it. You know, as you grow in your faithfulness, God will allow your faith to expand. There's another area that you grow in marriage, and that is that you grow in problem solving. 
You know, I can't imagine, and I would even be afraid to chronicle all the problems that my wife and I have had to endure through the years. But as we go together and grow together, uh, we're able to take these problems on, and we're able to come together as a couple in solving these problems. There's another area that you are maturing in, and that is in the strength of character. You know, when you think about character, character could be defined this way. How do I treat the people in my life that I don't need? How do I treat those people in my life that can never pay me back for what I've done for them, that can never compensate for how I have blessed them? You know, that is a revelation of where your character is. You see, if you only treat people kindly because they're going to treat you back kindly or or they can do something in return, it shows that you have a hidden agenda. But in marriage, we are to love our spouse unconditionally. That is a high mark of character, that you can love somebody expecting nothing in return. Well, we've covered a lot of ground on this subject of the purpose of marriage. We learned that marriage reflects Christ's love and the love that he has for the church. We learned that marriage expresses completeness and union within a marriage. We've learned that marriage is designed to grow us in maturity. But there's a fourth point that I want to cover in the purpose of marriage. And that is, marriage teaches us healthy companionship. Going back to Genesis chapter 2, verse number 18, it says, The Lord God said, It is not good that a man should be alone. I will make him a helper that is fit for him. You see, marriage is the most basic, significant social relationship to humankind. The relationship must be nurtured and maintained for the welfare of all. You know, without marriage, a society will fall. You see, it's no newsflash that friends make us happy. But there was a professor at Northern Arizona University, and he has drilled down to reveal exactly what it is about friendship that warms our hearts. Well, it turns out that companionship, simply doing things together, is the component of friendship that makes us most happy. And the reason friends make us happy, he concludes, is that they make us feel like we actually matter. You know, being isolated and not having companionship is not good for us. We all know that trying to get close to people is very difficult. We can get hurt. Sometimes it's tempting for us just to say, well, I'm going to withdraw. But you know, that can create even worse problems. That's what Christopher Knight found out. Back in 1990, at the age of 20, he walked into a rural state of Maine. And the only thing he went into the state of Maine with was the most basic of supplies. Well, he didn't really have a plan. His chief motivation was to avoid contact with people. He finally emerged in 2017. After 27 years of living in isolation, he had been arrested and he was stealing from cabins where he was living. In an interview about his decades long of being in solitary confinement, basically, 
He said, you know, it's really complicated. Solitude bestows an increase in something valuable. I can't dismiss that idea. Solitude increased my perception. But here's a tricky thing he said. When I applied my increased perception to myself, I lost my identity. There was no audience, nobody to perform for. There was no need to find myself. I became totally irrelevant. When I think about companionship with marriage, marriage produces this wonderful, healthy companionship. The Bible is very clear. It's not good that a man should be alone. God has given us a helper to fit him. And that helper was Eve in the case of Adam. You know, God has somebody in mind for you. Maybe you're listening to me as a single person, and you long for companionship. And in your desire to have companionship, you're trying to find somebody that will come into your life. And as a result of looking for this person, maybe you're tempted to lower the expectations that you have of finding a godly companion. Oh, I want to encourage you. Don't lower your standards. God has somebody for you. I think about my son, Tyler. He wanted to find a godly mate, and he was looking and, and searching, and, and, and he was growing a little bit impatient. I said, just wait upon the Lord. God will send you just the right person at just the right time. And I'm so happy to report that God has given him a wonderful spouse. She's a young lady that sings on our worship team at the church, and she loves the Lord. And I want you to know that my son adores her. Because he waited, he was 30 years old when he got married. He waited and he waited and he, and he waited upon the Lord, and God sent him just the right mate. Listen, God has somebody in mind for you. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will direct your paths. Well, I've got to move on. Here's the fifth purpose of a biblical marriage. Let me review quickly, okay, in case you're just tuning in. Number one, marriage reflects Christ's love for us, for the church. Number two, marriage expresses completeness and union. Number three, marriage is designed to grow us in maturity. Number four, marriage teaches us how to have healthy companionship. And then number five, marriage is a partnership with both giving 100%. And notice I call it a partnership, not 50-50, but both giving 100%. We're going back to Genesis chapter 2, verse 24. This is why a man leaves his father and his mother and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. So the man surrenders 100% of all of his other relationships. He leaves his father. He leaves his mother united completely to his wife. They become one flesh, two becoming one. Now, as I look at this, I was reading somewhere that there are five primary things that we need in our lives. When we look at marriage, marriage helps us to fulfill these five purposes. Number one would be security. That is, who can I trust? 
Listen, I want to encourage you. If you're contemplating marriage, say, I'm not sure I could trust that guy, or I'm not sure I can trust that woman. Can I beg of you, do not get married to somebody you cannot trust? Do you remember many years ago, we had a high official who was the president of the United States who was unfaithful to his wife. And I remember when that happened. And I said, well, how should we as a nation, uh, why should we trust a man whose wife cannot trust him? When you think about security, security is based on trust. I will trust you. Find somebody that you trust. If you can't give yourself 100% over to somebody in marriage, then don't marry that person. You know, I tell couples when they come to me, if you are coming to me and you want me to perform your wedding ceremony, but yet you want to have a prenuptial agreement, you are in essence saying, I don't trust this person. I'm going to hold back some of my resources because I don't trust this person. I would say if you don't trust that person, don't marry that person because marriage is designed to teach us to be secure. We can only be secure in relationships where there is a high level of trust. Well, there's another need that we have. Number two is the need to have identity. That is, who am I? You know, your spouse should help to bring out your identity. Now, I know that our identity is in Christ, but God uses our spouse to nurture our identity and to grow our identity. It helps you to understand the role that God has for you. This matter of identity is so important. I find my identity in Christ, and because of the relationship I have in Christ, I also understand my identity as a husband. My role as a husband is to protect and to provide. I discover that with that identity also comes the blessing of children. So I now have an identity as a father. And that role as a father is to provide and to protect my children, to teach them how to have a godly marriage, to teach them how to be responsible for their actions, to teach them to take care of themselves. And then we have the identity of belonging. When I think about belonging, this would be, who wants me? Who do I belong with? You know, when I got married, I knew that I belonged with my wife. I didn't belong with anybody else. My belonging was with her. Uh, She wants me and, and I want her. We belong together. And that has helped me to be more secure, to have a better identity of who I am. And then we also look at the fourth need that we have, and that is the need for purpose. Why am I alive? You know, part of being alive is to be fruitful and to multiply. Part of my purpose in life is to be a godly husband to my wife, to be an example to her. Part of my purpose in life is to work hard and to reflect kingdom values wherever I go. Well, there's one last need that we find that marriage helps us to develop, and that is the need for competence. That is, what do I do well? You know, I am where I am today because I have a loving wife who has pointed out to me, hey, these are things that you do really good. These are things that you don't do so well. So I can focus on the things that I do really well. You know, a godly spouse will do that to you. A godly spouse will help you in your weaknesses, 
won't exploit you in those areas of weaknesses. And a godly loving spouse will also affirm in your life what you do really well. Well, thank you for joining me today. We didn't quite finish up today, so we're going to go into tomorrow's broadcast on this same subject of what a biblical marriage is, eight purposes of a biblical marriage. In the last minute that I have left, I want you to know that we are in the process of building an early learning center, and uh, we are looking for great people to work with us. So if you have a love for children and you would like to work with children, would you give the church office a call? 757-421-7500. We're always looking for qualified candidates uh, who love the Lord, love children. Our early learning center goes from six weeks all the way up to K-5. We have a before and after program. We would love to talk to you about uh, working with us. And uh, unfortunately, we're at capacity for our early learning center. But if you would like to work with us, give me a call, 757-421-7500. Thank you so much. I look forward to speaking with you tomorrow. If you'd like to hear this broadcast again, you can have a free download at buzzsprout.com backslash 1890557, or you can listen on Amazon, Spotify, Google Podcast, and Apple Podcast. Hickory Ridge Community Church is located at 3320 Battlefield Boulevard South in Chesapeake, Virginia. Sunday service times are 9 a.m. and 1030 a.m. We'd love for you to join us. For more information, go to hrcc7.org. And remember, no matter what you're going through, in Jesus Christ, there is always hope for your heart.